Well, if you've been with us for any amount of time over the past uh, few months, you've heard of our uh, Access for All project. And what we're really doing is we're, we're trying to make our church campus more accessible for folks who have mobility issues or limitations. Uh, maybe someone who's in a walker, or wheelchair, or some other challenge. And, and so at the end of last November, we began receiving commitments and gifts uh, toward this effort uh, with the goal of raising $900,000. And in that four-month span, our, our church stepped up, you stepped up, and we received gifts and commitments totaling approximately $800,000, which is amazing. So praise God for that. Yes. So based on the donations and, and commitments that were received, the deacons have now approved a design plan, and it's going to be an, an addition to our existing uh, nursery wing. So if you can uh, see that big, large six-sided building. There's a name for a six-sided building. I forgot what it is, though. You know what it is. Anyway, next to that, you'll see the Edwing there, the longer rectangle. I know what that is. All right, there's a rectangle there. And then next to that, the red box. That is the addition that's planned. It's going to include an elevator. It's going to include upgraded ADA-accessible restrooms, and it's going to include a refreshed and expanded nursery. And so, uh, you know, that it'll be like... Along those lines, you're looking there at kind of a view top-down on this upper level and how that'll work. Um, and, and we have some, some renderings, too, of what it'll look like um, as you kind of walk through that space and looking into the nursery area. Um, but, uh, you know, so, some might ask a question, well, you know, we didn't really meet the $900,000 goal, so how is this going to work exactly? And, uh, and, and that's, a, that's a really good question because, you know, the plan has been that uh, we're going to be raising $900,000. we have got 450000 in savings, and then the additional 300000 will be taken on in debt if needed. Uh, but the amount we raised was 800000 so how do, we, how do we bridge that gap? And uh, the difference actually will be made up as we've talked it through and discovered more things. There's some, some, some cost savings measures that have come into view, and, and so we're grateful for that. Um, some, you know, a big part of that is, is uh, the fact that people are stepping up to do so much work on the Edwing. So we've got sweat equity, folks. We've got people that are showing up. And so it's exciting because the more we show up and the more we do, the, the more those numbers come down into range. And so we're really excited about that. Um, so there's also an awareness that there's some challenges being faced by the banking industry right now. Maybe you heard a little bit about that in the news. Yeah. And so the ripple effects could affect our plans. And, and so if we need to make adjustments, we're committed to doing that as well. And so we'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on those things. But the next steps are going to be, uh, there's some preliminary work required by the city of Concord. And we hope to start by late spring on that. And... Um, and so now, yeah, as, as we begin now, uh, you know, fulfilling our commitments and giving, those who are overseeing that have asked me to just remind everybody, please mark Access for All or AFA on there somehow, one way or another, and that way uh, we'll make sure that the money goes where you want it to go. Uh, and we're thrilled to see that. And we thank the Lord for his leading, his provision. And again, we want to thank you for your generosity of gifts and commitments. And, and we're just going to look how God works as we uh, strive together to provide access for all. And so... Uh, Let's pray and just ask God to bless that. Father, we look to you. Uh, we, we thank you that this is your church. Uh, th- this is your campus. These are your buildings. And we just want to honor you in every way that we can. And, uh, and, and we would desire that uh, this place would be open for everybody. And so we pray, Lord, that even in, as we embark upon this now, and we trust you as we stretch forward, uh, we, we look forward to how you will provide. And we praise you in advance even for what you're going to accomplish. So we, uh, we look to you in this and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.
today is the, the, the age, really, this, this time that we live in is, is one that is saturated with something that I think it's probably more saturated with it than has been in days past. And that is, it's saturated with skepticism. We live in a skeptical time. And uh, I, you, know, you, you, you would look in the news and you're like, well, that's fake news. Forget it, right? And, and so, even emails. I'm, I'm, I'm almost so fast now to mark you as spam. Like if you show up in my email box with a new email, you're spam. You're gone. I don't care. I'm done. I just, you know, so many things are coming in. This scam, that scam. Someone's trying to work that angle, this angle. And, and in reality, what happens now is our minds can easily fall into this thing of, well, it just can't be true. Or that's too good to be true. Or forget it. Now, now, the Bible doesn't call us to be gullible. All right, we're not, you know, that's a virtue. Yeah, be gullible. Make sure you're taken advantage of by as many people as possible. That's not what the Bible would teach. At the same time, we were just in a section in 1 Corinthians where we were told that love believes all things. You know, what does love do? In other words, love isn't gullible, but love believes the best about people until they themselves demonstrate or prove otherwise, in which case that's a different category. But the skepticism of our time can easily overtake us, and that was exactly what was happening in, in Corinth in the first century with the, with the church there. Because there was this discussion of resurrection. And many of the people there were like, oh yeah, we believe in Jesus and we trust in him and everything. But resurrection, please, give me a break. Because one thing we're sure of is this. If someone lives their life, they die, that's it. We've seen it over and over and over again. Don't bother to tell me that there's such a thing as resurrection. And so Paul's taken great lengths in chapter 15 to show that, no, not only is resurrection real in Jesus, not only is it true, it is critical. It is a tier one issue. To not hold to resurrection is essentially to not be a believer. It's to reject the gospel. Even as Brandon was sharing earlier, that's what happened. Jesus died. He rose again on the third day. That resurrection of Christ is a historical reality, but it's also a beautiful demonstration that his sacrifice, his payment for sin was in fact received by God as payment in full. And so Paul is describing this at length. And he began this section even just by saying, I'm giving to you what's of first importance. Notice, first importance. What I also received. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That, in essence, is the good news. That is the gospel. And so now Paul's going on to defend the resurrection against skeptics who are rejecting it there in Corinth. And so if you would go ahead and open to 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses 35 to 49. If you're going to use the Bible on the chair rack in front of you, you'll find it on page 139. And it's in the New Testament, so it's, it's toward the back. Uh, page numbers start over right in the middle of that thing. So you're on the back section, page 139. And in, in, in honor of God's word, would you please stand and follow along as I read? 1 Corinthians, beginning in chapter 15, verse 35. But someone will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? You fool. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished. And to each of the seeds, a body of its own. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, and another flesh of birds, and another of fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is the gl- one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. 
so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from earth, earthly. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthly, so also are those who are earthly. And as the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we were born, we have borne the image of the earthly, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would take these words now and change us. We pray that your spirit would be at work as he takes what he's penned here in this place to cause us to see you more clearly, to cause us to be in awe even more of not only the resurrection of Jesus, a historical reality, but also a resurrection for all who are in him, an anticipation of a certain future in him. And so we give you thanks and we pray that you would grace us to see these things and to live differently in light of them. And we ask this in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and take your seats. So in this passage, we find that we must stand firm anticipating resurrection in Christ. First of all, because resurrection is reasonable. It is reasonable. And, and, and you go, how do we see that here? Well, verse 35, this quote, how are the dead raised and what kind of body do they come? Paul is actually quoting his opponents. He's, he's quoting skeptics. You can almost hear the tone there in, in that very passage, right? Well, how are the dead raised? Oh, yeah? Well, what kind of body do they come with? As in, give me a break, it's not happening. And, and so he's anticipating their argument, and they're, they're, and they're basically saying something like this, you know what, this doesn't make sense to me, and therefore it's false. And by the way, anytime someone does that, this doesn't make sense to me, therefore it's false, they are engaging in one of the many well-known logical fallacies. You know, a fallacy, a fallacy would be, you know, for example, the, the, the self-contradictory fallacy, right? So if I say, all generalizations are false, okay, well, I just... Use a generalization. So is that true? Is that false? Right? It, does, it makes no sense, right? And uh, in the same way, there are other types of fallacies. And, and this one, you know, is sometimes called the fallacy of personal incredulity. And we kind of see an example of it in some things. For example, um, and th- there are some people today who, who are flat earthers, okay? If you are one, I'm not trying to insult you. We can talk after the service, okay? But there are some people who do hold to that. And so basically, their argument goes something like this. It's, it's sort of like, you know, uh, the argument has to be um, wrong because I don't get it. So, you know, the person would say, well, hey, the earth is rotating. And their response would be, well, that doesn't make sense. And then, well, the sun's 150 million, you know, kilometers away. Well, what, did they use a measuring tape? You know, and so you kind of see that it's not really because uh, they, it's a bad argument. It's because they don't personally understand it. And so they refuse to accept it. You know, the earth is in motion around the sun. That's impossible. Ridiculous. The moons orbits the earth. And they're like, LOL, ROFL, like, please. I, I'm, not, I'm not receiving it. Why? Because they don't understand it. 
And so here's, here's the newsflash. It's possible for something you don't understand to be true. Whoa. That is possible. I, I've told you many times, I'm baffled as I get older at how many things I don't understand. And thankfully, they're still true. You know, could you imagine things becoming true as you understand them? That'd be terrifying. Like, I don't get how my heart works. I really don't. But as of right now, yeah, it's doing a pretty good job, you know? I don't get that. And so Paul is, is saying to them, you know, here, here, here they go. How are they raised? With what kind of body do they come? Ha, 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 ha. Right? It's almost like the, the skeptics that came to Jesus regarding the same thing. And, and what do they do? They said to him, well, how can there be resurrection if there's a woman and, and she has a husband who dies and then she's widowed and then another husband dies and she's widowed and another husband she's died. Well, whose husband will she be in the resurrection? Ha, ha, ha. God, we got him, you know? And Jesus is like, you don't understand the scriptures of the power of God. <laughs> Bottom line. Because in, in, that, in that era of resurrection, we're not given in marriage. That's not even a part of the deal. So it's the same attitude here that Paul is confronting and so he goes and he says to them, you got to love this, verse 36, you fool. And, uh, you know, think about where they are. They're in Corinth right now. They're Greek. We, we learned earlier in this epistle, what was one of the things they valued more than anything? Uh, that'd be wisdom. You know, argumentation. You know, kind of being in the center of town, this person has this argument, this person has that argument, who's going to win? It was kind of like sports to them. And so for him to say, you fool, that is not something you wanted to be called. And uh, one commentator said the best way to understand that phrase, you fool, is you nonsense person. I'm, I'm going to try that. I like it. I'm going to try that. <laughs> you nonsense person. What? And so then Paul goes on to say, not only are you being a fool, but the reality is, is you see something in your everyday life that ought to make you understand this thing about resurrection, namely planting seeds. They were an agrarian culture. They saw seeds planted all the time. And Paul's saying, you ought to get this. Let's look at seeds and how they work. And he goes on to describe it. That which you sow doesn't come to life unless it dies. What's he saying there? Well, the, the seed that you put in the ground, it, it, the form that you put it in the ground, at least, that, that's destroyed after you sow it. And yet the act of sowing, by the way, a burial, interesting for the analogy picture, it's similar to, to what follows death. And so he carries on the metaphor. The growth that follows is a giving of new life, a new life that doesn't come unless the grain first dies in the ground. And so the seed has to be destroyed if the new life is going to come about from that. And so he goes on to, to, to say, um, look, you don't sow the body which is to be. In other words, to get a plant, you don't take a plant and bury it. No, the seed goes in the ground. And then something amazing happens. Something amazing happens. God does something. And by the way, seeing this every day, it, it's easy to take it for granted, isn't it? But I don't know, I, I'm looking around. I know some of you in here are totally into gardening. Some of you grow your own food even. Some of you are way into it. Um, it's amazing every time it happens, isn't it? I was just out in the backyard this week. We've got this peach tree. You know, you've heard about it before if you've been here for a while. I love that thing. But you know how many branches I had to take off that thing this year? I'm going, how do you even trim a peach tree? So I go online. You know, well, how do you do this? 
Thankfully, you might be surprised, there's a YouTube video on that. There's a YouTube video on everything, right, practically. And so they, they give this whole discussion, you know, it's like, okay, you're going for the V. You know, it's not one of those trees where you're going for like a center line, like, you know, an apple tree. The peach tree, you want to go V. I'm like, all right, I'm going V. I'm going V. I'm looking at this chaotic, just like mess of branches. <laughs> what am I doing, you know? So I just start hacking away at this thing mercilessly, right? I got V's. I got V's. What's going to come of it? I don't know. The point is this. Every time a peach comes off, it is a miracle. Now, again, it's part of nature. So I wouldn't say it's a miracle as in a miracle that would suspend the typical properties of nature for God to accomplish something. But nonetheless, it is God's activity, God's work. We're told that the Lord Jesus himself holds all things together. You know, by his power, every molecule, every little thing. So I don't want to take that for granted. And, and Paul's saying here, look, you guys do this all the time, but look at what happens. You plant a seed, and what comes out? New life. A plant. A, a beautiful work of God. And, and by the way, you know, think about this. The first time that would ever happen to somebody, wow, how much wonder is there in that? If you ever did that with your kids, you know, hey, we're going to put this in the ground. Let's see what happens. And then the green sprout comes up. What's the reaction? Whoa. You know why? Because the kid gets it. We're the ones that get distracted and confused over time. They get it. It's amazing. It really is. And so that's his point here. Is when you sow a seed, when you cast it into the ground, there is an incredible transformation that takes place. And it's the same way when people are in Christ. This is for those who are in Christ and are buried. There's new life. And that life will become apparent when they come up again at the resurrection. So when Paul describes this, he's, he's talking about how this is a, a, a beautiful and glorious thing and their skepticism is unwarranted because they're not seeing something. They're not seeing that resurrection really is, when you really look at it, reasonable. It's part of God's design. And, uh, and then he goes on to give more analogies so they can understand it more because he goes, look, there's something different that's going to come to pass here. It's not the same. Um, there's, there's different types of bodies. And so in verses 39 through, through 41, he describes that. He says, there's, there's, you know, the bodies of people, the flesh of men, there's, there's animals, there's birds, there's fish. He kind of subdivides even farther within the animal kingdom. Then he goes on to say sun and moon. Then he goes on to say stars. And there's different types of stars. He's, he's beginning to, in here in the argument, he's beginning to take our focus and to have us look up. Wow, God's doing something transcendent and above and beyond us. And it's good to look at the sky and remember that. What are we told in Isaiah? You know, as, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his thoughts above our thoughts and his ways above our ways. And so Paul's beginning to draw their focus there. Yes, there's different kinds of bodies here. Now look up. There's different types of bodies there. And the one who made them all is about to give everyone who dies in Christ a new body. And that should inspire awe and praise. And so we, we need to do that. We need to stand firm anticipating resurrection in Christ because resurrection is reasonable. It makes sense. Look at the seed. But not only is resurrection reasonable, resurrection is also 
inconceivable. And uh, it might seem contrary, but it, it's not. And by the way, if, if you're thinking, wait a minute, that word inconceivable, I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> All right? If you've seen Princess Bride, you know what I'm talking about. So I, you know, I, I looked up the word. I'm like, wait, I want to make sure I'm not using this word wrong. Right? I want to make sure it means what I think it means. Right? So I did. And it, and it really, inconceivable means not capable of being imagined. It's the idea of not, not being able to fully grasp something. So its fullness is above and beyond our ability to fully comprehend. And that's what it is. Resurrection is reasonable on one hand, and yet it's transcendent at the same time. And it's above our ability to grasp. It's something that we don't quite get. Because you know what it is. It is a beautiful, divine reversal of the curse that came in, in, in Genesis when, our, when Adam and Eve disobeyed and death came into the world. God is now taking that, and this is another one of those beautiful reversals where decay is reversed into life. And so then Paul describes this more with a bunch of beautiful contrasts. Uh, These contrasts come about with the phrase, is sown and is raised. So you can see, resurrection of the dead is sown perishable, raised imperishable, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. So sown, raised, sown. It's almost almost like a, a song or a poem. And so first, he, he describes it. The, the body is sown perishable. In other words, it's going to die. It's going to dissolve. But the body that's raised, it's never going to die. It's never going to dissolve. You know, some of us here have lost loved ones. And in those moments where we have a, a way of going, this person was in Christ there really is this abiding, restful, joyful hope of, wow, they will rise again. How do I know? Because Jesus rose again. And Jesus, as we were told last week, he's the first fruits of resurrection, meaning here's the first part of the crop, the rest is coming. It's a guarantee. Jesus rose again, therefore all in Christ will also rise again. So, so imperishable, but raised imperishable. And then he goes on. Sown in dishonor, but raised in glory. When he's using the word dishonorable there, he's not saying the body is inherently evil. No, physicality was part of God's design before the fall. That's not it. However, it's dishonorable in the sense of it's, it's corruptible. There's a weakness. And, and, but the resurrection body is going to be glorious. It's not going to suffer from that kind of weakness, that kind of frailty. Can you even imagine that? I mean, some of you in here are pretty young, so you're like, eh, okay. I feel, you know, pretty, uh, pretty able right now. Well, get, get this. As you get older, you're going to feel more unable. Just trust me. Trust me on that one. And some people are looking at me like, Chris, what are you? You're like, you're in the mid-50s, so you're a young guy. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it. And you're, and you're going, hey, trust me, it gets worse. Like, yeah, that phrase, you know, it's all downhill from here. Like, ah, great. 
And, and we all have people we love in our lives who, who wrestle with different physical ailments, right? There are problems. And, and, and it's hard. It, it's hard in terms of wanting to care for them. It's hard in terms of our own seeing our frailty and the fact that, that things are falling apart. And yet here we find this, that, that this body, though sown in dishonor, though buried in dishonor, is going to be raised in glory. And so Paul's going to go on and he describes it further. He says that the body is sown in weakness, but raised in power. So again, that same idea. Bodies, we have illnesses, we have injuries. Uh, we have just plain old tiredness. I mean, why does two in the afternoon all of a sudden become that time? When I was a kid, I was like, woo, go, 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 go. I look at kids that are younger. I'm like, how do we tap into that energy? I don't know. If there was a way, energy crisis solved, right? Done. And yet, we find ourselves tired. But the resurrection body won't have that. It's going to be raised in power. Think about that. Raised in power. No tiredness, no weakness. The resurrected body is just going to have that ability to keep on going. And then another contrast. Paul talks about a natural body versus a spiritual body. And, and by the way, let's make sure we look at that term. He's not using the term as in, you know, natural, as in nature. What he's talking about is, in fact, that uh, those who are natural are of the earth. They are of um, the fallen. He's used that same term earlier in the book to refer to that same kind of thing. And we find it used in other places in the Bible as well. James chapter 3, for example, talks about the wisdom that is not from above, but is natural, earthly, demonic. So it's talking about fallenness there versus spiritual. Because when new life in Christ comes for a believer, they receive the Holy Spirit. They're infused with the Spirit of God. We're literally baptized or immersed into Christ spiritually by the Holy Spirit when we come to Christ. But the spiritual body, that doesn't come until later, until the resurrection. Have you ever wondered why? I, I, Lord, look, I mean, even with sin, we wrestle with sin right now. Why? I, if it was up to me, folks, it would be this. Here we are, you're in sin. You're saved. Boom, sin free, live the rest of your life. That, that would be like, you know, reality according to Chris Oliveri, which you do not want on so many levels. But anyway, that would be it. But God instead takes us through this process called sanctification, where we're growing over time slowly. And he's honored somehow in this, uh, 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 Right? It's a struggle. Uh, justification, our standing before God, happens at a moment in time. When you're saved, you are declared righteous. You are declared not guilty. That is your positional standing before God, never to be taken away. But sanctification, then, is the ongoing growth that happens for a believer. And folks, it is messy. And if you think it's not messy, it's probably because you're just not doing it, okay? I mean, it's hard. And yet, the Spirit of God is what, who empowers us, and we grow over time. And somehow, in that struggle, in our wrestling with sin, in our slowly, by God's grace, fighting that battle, that glorifies God more than instant holiness. And in the same way with our bodies, somehow being renewed from within, we're told that the Spirit who, rose, who raised Jesus from the dead is the one who gives life to our mortal bodies even now. That's Romans chapter 8. 
The spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is the one who is in us now and he will give life to our mortal bodies. Now certainly that's hearkening ahead to the resurrection, but it's also coming out of a section where Paul was just talking about sanctification. So it's the spirit himself who gives us that power. And so many ways, our life now as believers, we anticipate resurrection. And yet also because we are in Christ, because we've been placed in union with him, we now live each and every day with resurrection power from the age to come. And that's by the Spirit. And God's glorified in the mess because he is at work in it and through it. And so we need to understand this great hope. And that's the question. When we look at this and the fact that the resurrection is coming, do we really believe it? Do we really believe it? Because, again, resurrection is reasonable the resurrection is inconceivable, but also, lastly, the resurrection's unstoppable. If you're in Jesus, God is bringing you safely home in Christ, and you will stand before him risen in spite of you. Do you understand that? You don't earn this. This is not from your pedigree. This is not from your moral achievements. This is not from your religion. No, this is grace. As a matter of fact, even when he describes this idea of of giving life, back in verse 36, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. That idea is is passive. It's something receiving something from something else. God is the one who brings to life. You don't pull yourself up into life. It's unstoppable. And, and, and when you think about it, why is it unstoppable? Here in, in verses 45 to 49, Paul really highlights that it's unstoppable because of a relationship. It's unstoppable beca- because of a relationship or a connection with one of two people. The first Adam, Adam, you know, Genesis chapter one, Adam. Or the last Adam, Jesus In the first Adam, you are of first Adam's lineage. Why? Because you're born into him. Or the last Adam, Jesus, you become part of his lineage when you are born again into him. And so Paul contrasts Adam, the earthly man of dust, with Jesus, the man from heaven. And, and we find here as he describes it that, that this... Uh, this first man, Adam, notice verse 47, he's from the earth of dust, literally, which means ashes to ashes, dust to dust. You've heard that? That's what happens to the old body. It returns to that from which it was made. But the second man is from heaven. And as the earthly, so are those who are earthly, and as is the heavenly, so are those who are heavenly. So he's describing these two realms, these two relationships, these two connections, and these two kinds of existences, and these two kinds of destinies that come from what lineage are you in? And by the way, isn't that just another another way that it it just kind of takes us out of the center of everything, doesn't it? To think that our eternal destiny, again, is not dependent upon my efforts, my merit, my morals. It simply depends on this. Who am I in? Adam or Christ? Life 
eternity, reality, all of it hinges on not me, but on my connection to one of two people, Adam or Christ. Which is it? Because the, the, the essence of the ages hinge on this one, the last Adam. Uh, when he describes in verse 45, Adam became a living soul, he's talking about creation there. He's actually quoting Genesis. And then the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. He's, again, going off of earthly versus spiritual. He's contrasting those two ideas, and he's saying Jesus is the one that brings life, that gives life. What does he say in John 17, 3? This is eternal life. What? To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ in that ascent. Again, connection, relationship with one or the other. And he concludes by just saying, just as we've borne the image of the earthly, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. So we have all borne the image of the earthly. We have all walked and lived in connection with and in the likeness of the man of dust, Adam. And yet, we also are participating even now for those who are in Christ. Each one is participating even now in the reality of the age of resurrection because of what Christ has done. He's already risen. And in him, in connection with him, immersed into him, however you want to describe that, our relationship with him, this intimate relationship of oneness with Christ means that we now participate in the newness of life through the spirit from the age to come. Even now. And so he concludes with, just as we've borne the image of the earthly, we've all done that, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. There it is. It's unstoppable. It's going to happen. It's coming. And when it does, it will be the fruition of all that we anticipate in Jesus, as demonstrated by his own resurrection. Sharing in his likeness. Incorruptible. And so each day, if you're a believer, if you're in Jesus here today, each day you already experience this to some extent. And as you grow and as you walk with him and as you become one who does not uh, try to live out your own effort or your own means or your own way, but as you center your life on walking out this union that you already have in Jesus, you experience that more. And the question is, is that our aim? Is that our preoccupation? Is that our prayer? Are we caught up in that? How does that affect the way we, we engage with other people? How does that affect the way we deal with trials in our lives? It's amazing. I mentioned it last week, but resurrection really is kind of the Rosetta Stone for everything life throws at us. It puts it in perspective. It doesn't mean it takes away the pain. It doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean it isn't a challenge. It doesn't mean we don't find ourselves wrestling with discouragement and going to prayer and needing one another. I mean, that's why we're, we're a family. We're a church. We're a community. Because we want to walk through this together, and it's hard. And yet, there is this hope that's sure. Why? Because Jesus rose. And all who are in him will rise. Let that frame everything you're facing right now in your life this week. 
Yeah, but it's scary. Yeah, okay, it is scary. But he rose. And in him, so will you. Yeah, but I'm really, really sad over this. That's okay, you can be sad. Bring that to him in prayer. You're not failing by feeling sad. You're being honest. But remember something in the midst of that. He arose. And you will too. Typically, when someone has way more money than they know what to do with, they're going to try to do something. They're going to try to cure aging and cheat death. So Google founder Larry Page tried to do it. Jeff Bezos has tried to do it. Uh, Many other tech billionaires have tried to do it. But now there's an actual country trying to do it, and it is the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. So they probably have as much money as all those people put together, I don't know, but they're going to try it. And the Saudi royal family has started a, a, a nonprofit organization called the Hevolution Foundation, and it plans to spend $1 billion a year of its oil wealth to support basic research of biology and aging to find a number of ways to either extend people's life or just eliminate death altogether. And um, if, the, if, the, if the Saudis actually end up spending it, it could make the Gulf state the largest sponsor of research to understanding the underlying causes of aging and death and how to slow it down. Uh, former Mayo Clinic endocrinologist Miman Khan says this, quote, our primary goal is to extend the period of a healthy lifespan there is not a bigger medical problem on the planet than this one. And uh, they're authorized, again, to, to, to spend $1 billion a year indefinitely. Uh, by comparison, the division of the U.S. National Institute on Aging spends about $325 million a year on the same research. But again, you can see, I've got all these resources. I need to know what to do with it. What should I tackle? The biggest problem of all aging and death. What does Jesus say? I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would, again, cause our hearts to be stirred by you to see these things We thank you for the coming resurrection. We thank you that it's sure. And we ask that by your grace, as we live each day of the life you you give us here, that we would live in light of this amazing, transcendent, beautiful, beyond our comprehension reality. We thank you for this. In the name of the risen one, Jesus. Amen.